You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. If you would please open your Bibles to the book of Mark. Our reading this morning is from Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethlehem and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a cold tide on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found the cold tide at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the ground, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. This is the word of the Lord. Oh man, it's so good to be with you guys. Um, if we've never met, my name is Jay. And uh, like Pastor Matt said, I'm, uh, I, I'm a pastor and a follower of Jesus just uh, an hour and a half um, I guess it would be Southwest. I'm very bad with directions. San Jose, you guys, that's where I'm from. So you can do the directions in your mind. Um, seriously, I, I'm honored to be with you. I, uh, I have such deep admiration for your pastors and your leaders here, for Christian and for Matt, who I've gotten to know the, the past year a little bit and um, have long held from a distance your community in very high regard as you exist as a gospel good news presence here in Stockton and beyond. And I mean that genuinely, not just you know as a pastor or a, or a church person, but as a follower of Jesus who really deeply believes that the hope um, that every human on the planet longs for is found in the gospel. And the good news that Christ has come, he died, he was buried, he's risen again, and that he is coming again to make all things new. And that in a, in a mysterious and powerful way, that that work is already embarking within us as the community of God's people. And uh, standing back there, singing with you all, worshiping together through song, I just, man, what a gift to be able to travel away from home and yet to feel at home. You know what I'm saying? Like, what a beautiful thing that the family of God is to be bound up together in this wonderful gift of union with Christ and with one another. Um, and, and to me, it's especially uh, uh, wonderful to be with you on this particular day, on Palm Sunday, as in, um, Christian was leading us through that prayer of confession, and uh, we all receive the palm branches. I love that rendering of what the palm branches remind us of, the weakness and the frailty of our worship, and yet the newness and the resurrection life that is embedded uh, within um, the, the resurrection power that is alive in us because of 
Jesus. And this story that we just heard read aloud, the Palm Sunday story from Mark's gospel, um, there's so much happening here, right? So much happening here. But I want to point us, and if you have your Bibles, you can open and just sort of follow along. I want to point us to a few key points here. First, at the beginning of this story, Mark chapter 11, in the first verse, uh, it tells us, this is sort of random, but Mark, the gospel writer here, feels that it is important to paint a picture for us of the geography. Do you notice that? Like we think of Palm Sunday and we think of the deep gospel ramifications of the beginning of Holy Week as Jesus embarks on what is going to be the most difficult week of his earthly life and the week that would change the human story forever. The story, at least the Palm Sunday story in Mark's gospel, begins with like locations and the direction in which Jesus traveled. And I want us to see that because it's not um, random. It's not by mistake. It tells us that when Jesus and his disciples drew near to Jerusalem, um, to, to Bethphage and to Bethany at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sends these disciples to find a colt or a donkey. Okay, if I had a map to show you, if you, could, if you just Google this and look up sort of a first century map uh, of the region surrounding Jerusalem, you would see very clearly that the gospel writer Mark here is painting a picture of the direction in which Jesus and his disciples are traveling. Essentially, Jesus and his disciples are traveling from the east of Jerusalem into the city. Now keep that in the back of your mind because it's going to matter toward the end here. So Jesus and his disciples are east of Jerusalem, and they are traveling westward from the east toward the west into the city of Jerusalem. And one of the reasons why this matters so much is because around this time, uh, which was around the time of the, the Passover festival for the Jewish people, this would have been a time of um, potential civil unrest in Jerusalem. And if you can recall, many of you know this, but Jerusalem and the people of Israel at the time are living under the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire at its height ruled from modern day Europe all the way down to modern day India. This was at the height of their power. They, they ruled the known world with an iron fist. And so what Rome, the empire, would do is whenever there would be the potential for civil unrest in any of their regions in which they ruled, they would send governors there to squash the civil unrest before it could get bigger than they could handle. And so knowing that in Jerusalem it was the Passover festival, a man named Pontius Pilate uh, and you know this name from the Easter story, a man named Pontius Pilate, who was a Roman governor, he would have been sent at this time, and we know this from the story that Pontius Pilate was there at this time, he would have been sent there by Rome to make sure that nothing got out of hand. The reason this is important, it's important for lots of reasons, but one of the reasons it really matters is because Pontius Pilate lived to the west, the northwest of Jerusalem. The reason this is important is because I want you to see the dichotomy in imagery here. Most scholars believe right at this moment as Jesus is entering Jerusalem from the east, I guess for you facing me it would look this way, as Jesus is entering Jerusalem from the east, Pontius Pilate is entering Jerusalem from the west. This, this matters a great deal when you think about the imagery. 
Pontius Pilate was a powerful man. He was a wealthy man. And when Roman officials of high acclaim like him would enter cities, they would do so with great pomp and circumstance. Pontius Pilate would have entered Jerusalem from the west riding a giant stallion, which was a a symbol of power and might and authority. He would have entered with an entire processional of Roman soldiers banging their shields and spears. This sort of shock and awe methodology was a common practice in Roman propaganda to visually and audibly um, declare their power and their strength and their might. Pontius Pilate would have been received by the city, not because they necessarily wanted to, but out of fear and obligation, he would have been received by the city with, again, great pomp and circumstance and thin, shallow, external celebration. So imagine what's happening here on Palm Sunday. From the West, Pilate, who represents... Rome, the empire that rules over God's people at the time, he enters from the west, riding a giant colt, a stallion, a symbol of might and power and strength and military dominance. He would have entered with soldiers and shields and spears, banging and shaking the earth beneath us. And from the east enters the Son of God. And what does the story tell us? It tells us that he enters on a colt. Another translation would be a donkey. A donkey is not a symbol of might and power and authority. It is a humble animal. It is an animal that children pet at petting zoos. Yes? He would have entered from the east, not with pomp and circumstance, but his ho-hum, ragtag group of disciples and followers. He was greeted with celebration, certainly, but what sort of celebration? In the text in Mark, it tells us that they had leafy branches. These are, of course, as you well know by this point, the palm branches. As Pastor Christian pointed out, palm branches are not big, strong, mighty things. They're flimsy and they're weak. They're also significant. You see, in Jewish tradition... Palm branches represent liberation, freedom, and victory. They had, up until the moment of Jesus entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, palm branches had, long before Jesus, represented for the Jewish people liberation, freedom, and victory. Let me just give you one example. About a century and a half before Jesus, about 150 years before Jesus, Um, And this is like a little Bible history, uh, extra biblical history, but it's fascinating and important. Uh, There was a man named Judas Maccabeus. They called him the Hammer, which is like the greatest nickname of all time, right? Wouldn't you love to be called the Hammer for whatever reason? It's just awesome, right? So Judas the Hammer is what they called him. And Judas the Hammer, about 150 years before Jesus, led actually a Jewish revolt against the empire. And he was, in fact, victorious. Now, the victory was very short-lived, but for a moment in time, the Jews believed that Judas Maccabeus, the hammer, had led them through to, to liberation, freedom, and victory over the oppressive empire. Now, how did the Jewish people 150 years before Jesus celebrate this seeming Jewish victory? With palm branches. 
the people marched in a processional behind Judas the hammer and celebrated their newfound liberation with palm branches. In fact, the palm branches became so symbolic of Jewish victory that Judas Maccabeus decided to have palm branches imprinted on Jewish coins. And so at the time of Jesus, because Orthodox faithful Jews were so against the Roman Empire, in places like Jerusalem and the Galilean countryside, where Jesus did much of his ministry, rather than using um, Roman coins to do business with one another, Jewish people would actually use Jewish coins. And these Jewish coins had imprinted on them at the time of Jesus, what? Palm branches. Palm branches were this interesting paradox, flimsy and weak, and yet they represented for the Jewish people liberation, freedom, and victory. And so again, come back to the scene of Mark 11. From the West enters the symbol of Roman might, Pontius Pilate on a big, giant, strong stallion, coming forth with soldiers and spears and shields. And then from the east, Jesus, the Son of God, entering on a colt, a donkey, surrounded by peasant people, greeted with palm branches, these flimsy little leaves that for them represented liberation and freedom and victory. I mean, what does it mean that the people greeted Jesus as he entered Jerusalem with palm branches. It means that in their current humble state, they still somehow magically believed that this carpenter's son from Nazareth was the symbol of liberation, freedom, and victory. As Jesus had, had covered the countryside with teaching and with healings and with miracles for, this, for the past several years, there was this growing belief that this carpenter's son from a, from a backcountry town could actually bring the sort of freedom that Judas the hammer had brought for a moment but had failed to last. The people actually believed that this man, Jesus, was entering Jerusalem on Passover to defeat not just Pontius Pilate, but the entire empire and to free the people. But here's the irony of the story. As we all know, what happens this week? He is greeted with palm branches, this, this immense belief that he was bringing, ushering in a new era of forever eternal freedom and liberation. But in less than a week, what will happen? This same Jesus, who the people expected to, to bring victory over the Roman Empire and over all empires, what would happen to him? He'd be arrested, he'd be tortured. And he would eventually be crucified and killed on a Roman cross, which was, at the time, the most humiliating form of death. He would die a criminal's death on a Roman cross less than a week after being received into the city as the symbol of victory over Rome. I mean, think about the letdown. Think about the utter disappointment that would have ravaged the people. We're not talking about months and months or years and years, you guys. We're talking about a few days. 
Jesus enters as a symbol of victory. And less than a week later, he's killed on a cross. So interesting, this whole dichotomy, Pontius Pilate entering in power from the West, Jesus entering in humility, and yet the people believing that he would bring victory from the East. You know, Rome, it wasn't just a governmental structure, it was actually a religious structure. You guys know the word Caesar. You mostly know it because that's what we call our dogs and pizza parlors these days. Um, but, you know, at the time, Caesar was a title given to the emperor of Rome, the man who, who conquered and, and uh, the man who um, ruled as king over this giant empire. And because Rome wasn't just a governmental structure, because it was actually a religious structure, there was propaganda laced into Roman culture, as is true for all religious structures. And so there was very common verbiage in Roman propaganda, things like Caesar is Lord, things like um, there is no other name under heaven by which we are saved but Caesar. Does this sound familiar? Yes, because the early Christians, they didn't make propaganda, they didn't make propaganda up out of thin air. They took the propaganda of the empire and flipped it on its head. They began saying things like, no, 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 Jesus is Lord. No, 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 no. There is no other name under heaven by which we are saved but Jesus. I mean, the, the speed at which this story turns is shocking, you guys. You have one day Pontius Pilate entering from the west, Jesus entering from the east. Less than a week later, you have the people not saying, Hosanna, save us, save us now, but instead saying, crucify him. Never mind, we were wrong. He's a disappointment. He's not going to bring the sort of victory we thought he would bring. And then a few days after that, you have what we all together will celebrate next Sunday. Resurrection Day. Jesus entering the grave and bringing victory in a way that we could never have imagined. Pilate enters from the west on a mighty stallion with soldiers and a processional with swords and spears. Jesus enters from the east on a colt or a donkey with everyday people like you and me by his side, greeted with not swords and spears, but palm branches, these flimsy, fragile symbols of victory. There's another reason, a critical reason, why Jesus' entrance into the city from the east, Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, and then on into Jerusalem, why it matters so much. Throughout the biblical text, eastward motion, since Genesis 3, eastward motion, the direction of the east, is often used throughout the scriptures to describe movement away from God. If you guys remember, like going back all the way to the beginning of the biblical story in Genesis chapter 3, remember Genesis 1 and 2, a good God makes a good world for his glory and for our good and everything's awesome. You guys remember that? And then remember in Genesis 3, sin enters the human story and everything is not awesome anymore. Everything is like horrific and horrendous. And what happens? Because God in all of his holiness cannot bear um, sin in his midst, what happens? Genesis 3, verses 23 and 24, the Lord God sent him, Adam, 
And Eve, who had sinned, sent him and them out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. God sends, when sin enters the human story, God sends Adam and Eve and humanity out of the garden in which direction? To the east. To the east. And when Jesus enters Jerusalem, which direction does he come from? From the east. This isn't, this isn't coincidence. In fact... On Good Friday, this Friday, you will all celebrate and remember that moment, that heartbreaking moment when Jesus dies on the cross. And remember that story, that Good Friday story, when Jesus dies, he breathes his last breath. Does anybody remember what happens in the temple, the, the temple in Jerusalem? There's the Holy of Holies, where like they believe God's presence resided, where God's presence collided with earth. And there was a giant curtain that kept everybody out of the Holy of Holies because it was too holy. It was like a mini Eden, right? Remember what happens when Jesus dies on the cross? What happens? The curtain rips in two. Okay, you know what's really fascinating? That curtain in Jerusalem had um, embroidered on it all sorts of in imagery. You know what the most prominent imagery on that curtain was? Imagery of the cherubim. The story I just read for you, when uh, God sends a Adam and Eve out of the garden toward the east, what does it say? That God then guards the entrance from the east with what? What does he place there? Cherubim these angelic creatures that would keep sinful humanity away from God's presence on the tree of life. The curtain in the temple had embroidered on it imagery of the cherubim. It essentially represents the eastward entrance to God's presence. And what happens when Jesus dies? That curtain rips in two. There is no longer for those who say yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior, the thing that kept us from the tree of life is ripped into the moment that Jesus gives his life on a tree. All of this is happening on Palm Sunday. When humanity was banished to the east because of sin and brokenness, Finally, in Jesus, we have a way home. Jesus carries upon himself when he goes to the cross the weight and the burden and the penalty of our sin and brokenness. And he does it so that he can redeem sinful humanity that has been banished to the east, rip the thing keeping us from eternal life into and bringing us home. This is Palm Sunday. When we couldn't get home, Jesus brings home to us. You know, um, my daughter is almost six. She's five and a half. And uh, when she was almost three, because my wife and I both worked full time at the time, um, uh, we had to put my daughter in school, in preschool. 
And I remember the very first day I dropped her off at her preschool. She was two years and nine months. I checked um, on my uh, calendar. She was two years and nine months. It was like so crazy because like she was so little and we dropped her off at school. I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> or whatever. It was actually a wonderful move and her school was amazing. But um, I, re I remember I had the duty of dropping her off. My wife was like, I can't handle the emotion. You have to do this. I was like, okay. So we had prepared her. We had visited the school a bunch. We'd um, try to have her meet, you know, her teachers and her classmates before her first day. And uh, we'd had talk after talk. Harper, we're going to drop you off at school, but it's okay. It's going to be so fun. You're going to meet new people. It's going to be great. But what happens, you know, parents, if you have this experience, it's like so emotionally taxing, right? We, I, I take Harper to school that morning, like 7.30 or 8, and we, I'm holding her hand, and I'm walking her, and I pray for her, and I hug her. I say, okay, Harper, have a wonderful first day. I get down on my knees, get on her level, and I'm like pumping her up. This is going to be so fun, and I send her off. But what happens? Just tears, Right? tears and she just starts running back to me clinging to my leg tighter than she's ever held on to me before she's like i don't want to go daddy don't leave me whatever right and I, my heart is breaking i'm like maybe we made a mistake i'm just gonna homeschool <laughs> whatever right I'm like this is brutal what am i gonna so i so i finally rip her off of me and her teachers come and they finally settle her down and she sits in the circle time and then i leave and that whole day i was like man how is she doing i'm just racked with anxiety you know and then finally at 2 30 or 3 o'clock i go to school and i pick her up and she runs to me and she's so excited and it went like that you guys for like a week and a half you know what I'm saying? Like just every morning I'm dropping her off and every morning it's a struggle. But then something really, really profound happened. It's like a week and a half into this rhythm of dropping her off every day. About a week and a half into it, I take her to school and I'm just bracing myself for the tears. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, this one day, about a week and a half into this journey, I take her to her classroom and she doesn't even say bye to me. She just runs into her classroom and starts playing with her friends. And it's like she went from being like a two-year-old to a 17-year-old just overnight. It's like, oh, she's forgotten me, <laughs> right? you know? What I realized had happened was this. It wasn't that she had forgotten me. It's that she realized that at 2.30 or 3 o'clock every day, Daddy was coming to take her home. She lived with this built-in confidence because Daddy had built the confidence in her that no matter how your day goes, no matter how hard it is, no matter who makes fun of you, no matter if you trip up and fall or cry or whatever, no matter if the work is too hard or you feel like a failure or you feel like you're alone or you feel isolated or you feel broken, at some point when she couldn't get home on her own, home was coming to her. This is the gift of this day, Palm Sunday. Maybe you feel alone. Maybe you feel broken. Maybe you feel isolated. Maybe you look around your own life or the inner workings of your life in places that nobody else sees and knows. Maybe you read the news headlines and you feel like the entire world is up in flames and you are losing hope. Here is the promise of this day. Jesus has come and he is coming again. And when he comes, 
Though we could not get home on our own, he brings home to us. That though because of sin and brokenness we were banished from the presence of God toward the east, when we could not make our way back to God, Jesus brought God to us. The curtain has been ripped in two. And if you would say yes to him and him alone, you can be home in the presence of a God who made you and loves you beyond imagination.